Welcome to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen, where we help you navigate the challenges of feeding your family and learn about the role food plays in our health and relationships. Feeding and food relationships can be stressful, confusing, and even destructive. I'm Kristen Saxena, a pediatrician and mother of four, who's been researching and sharing what I've learned about feeding for over 10 years. In this podcast, I'll share my experience and expertise to help our kids and ourselves with everyday survival tips for real parents. This podcast is about progress, not perfection. So let's get started. Welcome back to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. I'm your host, Kristen Saxena. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the fourth trimester and the importance of good health care for newborns and moms during that period. We're also going to be talking about adventures in breastfeeding and all that goes along with that. Joining me today is my sister-in-law, Dr. Sonal Patel. She is a neonatologist, pediatrician, and the founder of a newborn in-home health company called Nyacare. Welcome to the show, Sonal. <laughs> Hi, thank you. This is so much fun and exciting. I'm excited too. So Sonal is my sister-in-law. So we go way back like to my teenage years. <laughs> I first met you. Um, but you're the mom of four boys. Yes. Uh, age six to almost 16 now. Yes. Yeah, you've got a like driver on yes. your hands. Um, but also professionally pediatrician. A neonatologist, you are a breastfeeding specialist Mm -hmm. and the founder, owner of a company that's called Nyacare, which provides home care for newborns, correct? Yes. Awesome. Well, can you tell us just a little bit about um, how you got to your company and really what inspired you to start Nyacare? Oh my gosh. So you witnessed all my postpartum events, I guess I I would say it. And I mean... I've had a, I literally had everything. I've had a C-section to recovering from grade three, grade four tears to preeclampsia to migraines. I mean, you name it, I've had Not it. Not an easy road. No, it, like I was a really good pregnant woman. Like I would, I looked cute. I could eat whatever I want, <laughs> you know, but the postpartum period really was, first of all, as a patient, I didn't realize that what little I was taught about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a physician, I didn't realize how many holds they were in postpartum care from the pediatrics and the OB aspect of it. And then combining that, it affected my um, my work life too, because I know, remember after Rishi, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and you guys had come out and my brother had mentioned around two months, you guys had come out and my brother had mentioned is like, you're not yourself. And mm-hmm. I was just like, no, I'm fine. What do you mean I'm not myself? Look what I did. Look what I accomplished, right? And then, but when I went back to work, I went as an intermittent, which meant that I only went to work when I was supposed to and I had to push myself. And so that lasted about eight months. And then finally someone was like, no, you have postpartum depression. And the validity of that was just like, wow. Okay, thank you for recognizing what I thought I was having. And now that you had labeled it, it was easier for me to recover from it. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's so hard because everything feels weird. So it's hard yeah. to know, like, is this normal? Is this how I'm supposed to feel? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then I saw it from the NICU standpoints where we were so focused on taking care of this baby. And then all of a sudden, two weeks to two months out, you're handing this baby to a mom or a family. Um, and what we had started to do in the NICU is around um, two weeks, 
we had started doing family conferences as like a mandatory thing. If your baby was going to be staying there longer than X amount of time, we're going to do a conference. Um, and that involved the social worker too. And so much anxiety, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression was unearthed through that. And I was like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Like we're so hyper-focused on the baby. And when the baby's ready, we're sending him to a family that's not ready for the baby to be there. Right? Yeah, and those babies usually... I mean, are even higher need higher maintenance than yeah. your average baby, which I'd say is very high maintenance. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it was just this everything combined. Long story short, my fourth one, I did everything what my medical system wanted me to do, had my baby two days later, went to my baby's appointment, came back, and it was so funny, my contractor, because you know, why not? Let's put all that in there. He looked at me and he goes, didn't you just have a baby? And he was the first person that I felt after my fourth recognized the fact that I had that baby. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. like I went through that process and that just ignited us. And uh, Namesh, my husband, was just like, well, I was like, we were talking that night. I was like, I just needed a weight check. That's all I needed. Like I needed this baby to have a weight check. Like mm -hmm. who can just come to the house? I will pay for someone to just come to the house to do this. And there's no one around Denver. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it, our company started with the home health and it's a home health company supporting now, which is labeled the fourth trimester. So, so yeah. tell me a little bit about what you guys do, what services yeah. you provide. So we do almost the gambit. We do prenatal classes if you guys want them. But usually prenatally, we do a really good job in the medical field and our society to support moms, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. we shower them with everything. Yeah. So usually our prenatal classes aren't that much utilized, which is totally fine. Um, and then postnatally, uh, we so our families um, will contact us about a month or two before they're having the baby. Then um, when then they go through this whole system, they'll get our emails, they'll get introduced to all of us that are on our the that create the postpartum journey. So then um, at two to three days, we'll come out and do the whole newborn medical exam. But on top of that, so those appointments are 60 minutes, which is unconventional from the pediatric clinical appointments, which mm -hmm. are like 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. So we do breastfeeding education. We'll do lactation in there, too. Um, we'll do, obviously, the medical newborn exam, all the questions and answers. And it's really nice because now the dads are there, the families are there. Um, sometimes I've had grandparents there asking questions. Um, sometimes there's like, there's usually my last one, I had a, um, a two-year-old. And so he was helping <laughs> me out, you know, doing the mm -hmm. exams and just getting involved. So you're coming into their space instead of having them come to your space. And recently, ACOG has recommended that blood pressures need to be checked on women. Um, and I've diagnosed one just recently, this last one I did, she had postpartum preeclampsia because we started, we're starting to do blood pressures now as well. That's great. And, um, and so then you just get plugged into their OBs. It's like, no, you've got to go check your OBs out. And then the one that I had back in Labor Day, um, she actually had a, a vestibular arterial dissection. Oh, and, geez. Yeah, and because of the blood pressure check. She was wow. complaining about stuff, and that was a whole story in itself. And now she's on stroke watch. So every time I feel that, like, why am I doing this? I walk into a situation and it's like, this is why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. So. So that's our first, so all our appointments, and then we support moms, um, or we'll do the newborn appointments, the two to three days around the two weeks, and then around the one month, so five to six weeks. So this allows babies to be home 
up to um, two months, and then they get plugged into their medical home, meaning their long-term pediatricians. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, I've had babies who've had um, in-home phototherapy. Mm-hmm. And why I think it works for us is because, because the literature doesn't kind of support in-home phototherapy, mm-hmm. but we're not telling the baby to get off the blanket. You know, we're not saying you get off the blanket, come to the clinic, we'll get there, and now you lost about four hours of phototherapy. Yeah. We're coming to them, and then on most most importantly, we're doing the breastfeeding education because mm-hmm. most of these babies are not getting enough food for whatever mm-hmm. That's reason. Part of the jaundice, yeah, sure. exactly. And so we're kind of doing that. So I've prevented. Um, we've served three hundred families. I've prevented three of them not to go into the hospital because of this kind of care. One actually ended up going to the hospital and ended up having um, uh, congenital respiratory issues, and so they have to go into their whole path for that. Sure. But, and then lastly, I know it's, it's, it's actually a very comprehensive plan that we have kind of created. Then you get a mommy check-in, um, so you're screened around one month. And on top of that, like I'm seeing these kids, or these moms, so I kind of screen them inadvertently too. Yeah. But there's an official mommy check-in, and then we have pelvic physical therapy around six weeks um, as a consultation or as you get one hour with our pelvic physical therapist. So... Really, the only part that I can't do is check your C-section. I feel like I'm that's yeah, to do that. outside of your scope a it's little a, bit. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but we really want to make sure that we are we are really supporting this mom. And why that is so important is because they're like, why as a pediatrician do you care mm-hmm. so much about the mom? But you know, the literature shows if the foundation of that family is good. There's so many good outcomes with that child. Totally. Well, I felt like with everything, especially in that newborn part, you know, there's so many things like with a new baby that you're anxious about. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt like, I mean, the best thing for that baby is to have a happy, healthy mom. Yeah. Despite whether you're, you know, what other things you're doing, whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding or, you know, whatever you're choosing and all the things that you worry about. Yes. And really it's like, if mom was is happy and taking care of herself a little bit, that's probably the best thing that ever could happen for that baby. Right. right. So I think that that's incredible. I love that you're just really taking that holistic view. And I really also like, um, I think this idea in terms of, of the home care for two things, like you said, it seems anymore, unfortunately, sort of the, the medical system, we're sort of left in a place where doctors, unfortunately, in a day, don't have, mm-hmm. you know, time there's not hour-long appointments generally Mm -hmm. for our newborns and our moms Um, and that's just not the way that it's built now Mm -hmm. Um, so you really don't have that time to kind of get into the weeds with all the things that are going on Um, and I think even with with COVID I think we've all learned to sort of preference these things like what can come to me what do I not have to leave the house for and I also have three winter babies it's always difficult but I feel like in the winter it's even more hard and the process of getting out of the house with a newborn Mm -hmm. and gosh you're probably still wearing diapers at some point for some of them yes it's like you know I mean it's like oh my gosh and it's like I gotta feed the baby and pump and get myself all together and try to get and then you know we're all like feel like we need to be presentable. So like it's hours of work to just get you there for this, you know, 10, 15 minute way the baby be told everything's fine and see you later. So, um, I totally I think agree it's with you. So beneficial. Yeah. I don't think it's the doctor's fault at all. I think it's our medical system that has kind of geared it towards this and then you unearth issues like you know in the first week you're like oh you're not 
breastfeeding well. So go to lactation. Well, that's another appointment. Or come back to me because I'm kind of good at this. Yeah. That's another appointment. It is. It's it's hard. And it's like you said, that's that much time that you can't be feeding the baby. It's all the time it took us to get ready and travel over here and get in here. So absolutely. I think it's really awesome. And you know, even though it's maybe what worked best for the system, it isn't necessarily what was working best for mom and baby. Right. right. And you also have a new book out about this topic, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I think that's so exciting. I I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh my God. I think it was such a cathartic kind of journey writing it because it was, it started nine months after COVID. And what happened during COVID was like you said, people started realizing that care could come home. And so I got super busy and it was very fortunate for me. Um, it's one of those silver linings. Yes. I always keep looking for these COVID silver linings. So. Yes. <laughs> so you got the word out a little bit more mm-hmm. that this kind of care exists. And then I realized I was like, well, so the vision is, I know it, it's to literally change our healthcare system. It's a huge vision. It's to standardize home health services and home health postnatal visits. So writing the book, I was like, okay, well, how am I going to make this interesting? So <laughs> my teenager, he just read it and he actually said, mom, that was really well-written and engaging, which is a lot coming from a teenager, which I had to make him read about postnatal care in our healthcare <laughs> so system. So maybe outside of his usual interests. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was like, and then... You know, when you write a book, you're supposed to talk to one person. And so my friend Rajiv, when I had mentioned him, I was writing this book. um, So male physician. And I want to prefix that because it's really to make. So when Namesh understood what I was going through, he helped. Yes. He was just like, no, go build this. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. go do what you need to do to build this. So the point of the book is to reach out to healthcare um, work uh, providers, policymakers, the birthing community. But you also need, like, as women, we totally understand. Like, mm-hmm. I, I tell you, I tell you, this postpartum period is hard. You're like, of course it's hard. Yeah, right? for sure. But then for our counterpart gender to understand exactly why this is so important. So mm-hmm. Rajiv came and I was like, oh, Rajiv, I'm writing this book. And he was just like, you know, that's great. But when we, so the book evolves around uh, addressing maternal mortality and mm-hmm. how postpartum visits help um, with that number. And he said to me, is like, Sonal, you know, a lot more women die from like heart disease and cancer and just at car accidents. Right. But we don't think of that as a modern day problem in the United States. Yes. Mm -hmm. So why are 754 moms, because that's what the rate is right now, why is that like, why is that so important? And Mm -hmm. then it kind of hit me. It's like, oh, I've got to explain to you why like global and federal and state initiatives are created mm-hmm. around maternal mortality and the role of postpartum care and postpartum home visits in that. So that's the main point of mm-hmm. the book. It's to realize that. Um, the book is called The Doctor in Her Black Bag. Mm-hmm. And um, it highlights uh, how I got to this journey. It highlights 10 patients um, that took postpartum care, like our model of care, um, while they were in COVID, so all these families had babies in COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a gambit of moms who, uh, I mean, one mom, her husband had hernia surgery, like literally a month before she had oh, her geez. baby in COVID. 
Oh my gosh. And oh. isn't that always the way it goes? I always feel like it, I would get all these families and they would be like, oh, we just had twins in the midst of redoing our kitchen. And yes. also he took a new job. And it's like, I don't know, but that's life, yeah. right? There's yes. always 8 million things going on. Um, one mom and their family, unfortunately, were told that um, their baby had tetralogy of Fallot to mm. like literally six hours after the baby was born again in COVID and to mm-hmm. kind of navigate the healthcare system when your baby needs heart surgery. And then one dad. So we have one dad in there and he is um, he's a self-identified gay dad and his sister lost custody of their nephew because of her situations. I mean, she was into drugs and he's very open about it on mm-hmm. on it, everything. And all of a sudden he's a dad. You yeah. Know? Like he didn't, he, he, he says. Most he of like, us have a few months to yeah. at least prepare. He had two weeks. And wow. unfortunately, mm-hmm. Skylar, his, his son was in the NICU. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so. That's a lot. So it highlights that, and then it highlights, it goes into the historical aspect. Like, how do we get here? Like, mm-hmm. what happened in U.S. history in this area that we got to the postpartum care we are, and then the solution for it? So Amazing. hopefully it's a good read. Yeah, um, I think it's so. just such a cool topic and something, um, you know, I think everyone, like you said, it's the idea is to really be able to change policy. But in order yeah. to do that... You know, we need to educate ourselves because I think it's something we just sort of take for granted. Like that's the way it's always been. Not really, but in our lives, that's yeah. the way it's kind of always been. And so I think for a lot of us, we don't think about like the system should be different. We just kind of think about like, why is it so hard for me in the system? You right. Know? So right. I think that that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Really so cool. Super excited about it. So it's out. I'm excited. That's amazing. So everyone should check that out. Yes. The doctor in her black bag. Yes. <laughs> um, and best way to get it on Amazon. And Amazon. Okay. Yep. Look her up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so what I, another thing I really wanted you to talk about, or the yeah. reason we really had you here, was to talk about breastfeeding. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So you are a breastfeeding <laughs> specialist. And yeah. you, through your home care, and really through your other clinical practice, have helped a lot of families with yes. breastfeeding. But what I wanted to start a little bit was for you to talk about your own experience with breastfeeding yes. your kids. So Sahil I had in residency. He's your current 16, he's current, almost 16, 16 year old. Year old. Yeah. Yes. And um, I had a C-section with him. And, you know, it was at that point, this was in 2004, 2005. Um, there wasn't a lot of um, breastfeeding education out there. I still remember in being a third year resident on my OB and the OB saying, hey, to the mom, hey, do you want to breastfeed? She's like, no, okay, well, why don't we bind it? And that was it. That was Mm -hmm. the extent of discussion around breastfeeding. And so I came into my own breastfeeding journey at that point with a little lack of education. We had this amazing attending down in New Orleans, and she was wonderful, and she was pushing it. But at that point, it was just a minority, right? Like in our our medical education, we don't get a lot of benefits of breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... His was a C-section. Nine weeks later, I'm back on to 80-hour work week. Yeah. I'm trying to pump. I'm trying to do all of this, trying to take care of being a resident and all of that. And it was a complete disaster. I mean, <laughs> I was like, like, like If there are any residents or whatever, I do feel you. Because I, I had my first in residency, too, which I, get, I think goes back to that story of everyone seems to have a baby amidst, like, a kitchen remodel or right. working 80 hours a week or whatever. But I guess yeah. there's, never, there's never a good time to have a baby. <laughs> Not in medicine. So I think, yeah, not in medicine, but probably not in anyone's life, but for sure. So shout out to all the resident moms because, geez, (laughs) 
So, I mean, seriously. <laughs> we, we feel you. I know. I had two um, upper levels at that time. <clears throat> that One of them had a baby first year of pediatric training mm-hmm. and third year, and she breastfed. And I was like, this is incredible. So I thought I could do it, but yeah. obviously it was a total disaster. Yeah. And then, you know, Sahel ended up having a lot of allergy issues and atopy and just, you know, and I just kind of started blaming myself that if I maybe, because you know breastfeeding can help with that. And mm-hmm. if I could have done a little bit of better job, maybe he wouldn't have had the eczema or he wouldn't have had the asthma, you know, and all of that sure. stuff. So again, blaming. Mom guilt. Mom guilt, yeah. blaming myself. Uh, so educated myself even though that bit. runs in your family of course so we should throw that out there too <laughs> but of course you focus on like i'm sure this is my fault exactly because yeah. i didn't provide the breast milk right right like right. i didn't do mom it. fail yeah exactly mm-hmm. total hashtag mom fail then with rishi i um i got better educated and we were able to do it for six months exclusively so which was like whoa this is awesome i'm able to do this and then with Rithik, it was kind of the same. And then at nine months, I noticed both with Rishi and Rithik. Um, two and three. Two and three, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just, my body was just kind of giving up. And then I like went, especially with Rithik, I had a lot of postpartum anxiety. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that at that point. Um, and I mean, I was doing the mother's milk. I was doing low-dose Reglan, anything. Oh, the tea stuff? The tea. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. we should talk about that too. yeah. Um, fenugreek, anything mm-hmm. that could help boost my supply. Like literally, mm-hmm. and then I'm back into the NICU, I'm doing rounding and all of that stuff. It, it was hard. I'm talking to my lactation people there to be like, hey, how can I do it? I'm power pumping in the middle of like rounding and do, I mean, just yeah, like, what am I doing to myself? Then I realized with Avi that, you know what, I'm just going to do with Number four. Number four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And what I started noticing with him is that, and the other boys did it too, and I just didn't take the time to acknowledge it or even just recognize it, was when he got introduced to food, he was just like, oh my God, what a different world. I don't want to be attached to a boob, you know? Yeah. I was just like, boom, I'm out of here. And he would nurse really well at night. Um, not to say that he would wake me up at night once in a while, but that's kind of normal. But we would have our good nursing sessions when I came home and in the morning before I went to work. And if I was off during the day, we would give a little bit here and there a formula. Sure. And I realized, oh my God. And so with him, I lasted 15 months doing that routine because I allowed my body to do what it was supposed to. And I kind of listened to mm-hmm. my body. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait a minute. My body was telling me this. They want it wanted to do this. It was actually really going with what my kids were doing. Mm-hmm. And I had this preconceived notion that I have to give them milk for a year. You know, like, right? Like, well, that's that's the recommendation. Yes. Like, and I'm a pediatrician, and or so, I'm I want to be a good mom. I mean, yes. period. And you're like, well, then I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. And then it was at that point I was just like, you know what? It's it's this is how we're going to do it. And so with the combination of formula breastfeeding and, you know, I gave him breast milk till 15 months and yeah, it wasn't exclusive, but yeah, good God, that boy got every single drop of that breast milk because that's what he wanted. Yeah. And so I listened to him rather than me. Well, and I think that that's such a good point too, is that like back in the day, Mm-hmm. Way back in the day, mm-hmm. there was no formula, right? No. And so theoretically, like humans should be able to survive. And I, I'm not against, I, we use formula. I'm all for formula. Formula is an amazing discovery and an amazing yeah. part of lives for sure. But I think that what was also missing 
was these ideas about what you were supposed to do and these like strict yeah. guidelines. And so, because for me too, with breastfeeding, like I breastfed all the kids, some, they all got some formula except Sean, number two, but that was because he would like barf it out every time. He just didn't like the taste. It was very yeah. stressful for me. Yeah. So that's, that's beside the point. But I think that that was the thing is that like, I, I wasn't, I always say I wasn't very good at that. And I don't mean that to be like self-bashing. It's just like, you know, you have these people that can produce like deep freezers full of milk. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's not me. Like we're, yeah. we're, and I had like big hungry babies and I was just, I'm very good at gestating big yes. healthy babies. I'm not that good at like feeding yes. these big fat babies that want to um. eat all the time. So, um, yeah, I thought the same thing like when, and I've told this story before, but when my first was born and you know, you're a pediatrician, you're yes. gonna, like come from the gates and you're going to do everything right. And it was a disaster. Yeah. He was hungry all the time. I was so exhausted. I wasn't confident that he was getting enough to eat. I mean, I was feeding him, I felt like every 10 minutes, my nipples are just bleeding. Yeah. Like I was at my wits end. And like, and I rem- you don't feel good. Oh, I felt awful. I was like constantly anxious, yeah. you know. And at one point, I remember he woke up and I was legitimately, I mean, my boobs were so sore. I yeah. was so tired and I was legitimately afraid of my baby. I yeah. remember like I waking remember up and being like, that. the yeah. feeling I have is fear. Yeah. Of this baby. Like, that's not a healthy place. And yeah. thankfully, my husband convinced me. He's like, can I just give him a some bottle. a bottle, some yeah. formula? And I was like, fought it for so long. And like, just that relief. Like, if we should not be creating scenarios where a mom is afraid of her, child. Of her baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're a grown person, you're afraid of an eight pound, like, can't stand entity. Yeah. Like, this is a problem. Yeah. So I think that that's just... You know, I love, I think it's just such a balance that we have to have, especially um, in the medical field or where you're assisting people with breastfeeding. You want to be able to encourage them and support them to do what they want to do. But also, I think that I experience that sometimes if you, if you get some of the people I think in the breastfeeding community are so gung-ho about it that it gives you this sense of like kind of guilt or shame yeah. if you're going to give your baby some formula yeah. or exclusively formula um and to me that I mean that was huge and just like the anxiety relief um and I think that that was it and the later you know once I realized I I did that and my baby survived and even thrived um then I I was able to give myself so much more permission to just be like well we're just going to see how this goes like I I know that this is something I want to do I know it's good for them it's good for me but and some is better than none. Yes. And um, my first baby, he turned out pretty great. And he had all kinds of formula. Yeah. So I don't have to worry. I'm like ruining my babies, yeah. you know, by doing that. And so yeah. I think that the messaging and just like realizing what yeah. moms are going through and the permission to be like, this is not a fail. This is actually like for me made, I think, my later breastfeeding experiences more successful right? because you were like, oh, okay, well, I can just calm down a little bit and just yeah. do what I can do. And whatever yeah. doesn't work out, mm, it's going to be fine yeah. because we live in this wonderful day and age where yeah. you know, there is formula. Your well, baby's not going to starve to death. 
There's a lot that you have just kind of highlighted. So I'm just going to kind of take it one at a time. So first of all, if you actually look at breastfeeding history, mm-hmm. um, it is postulated that the ancient civilization domesticated animals that, that we know, cows and sheep and goats, for their milk. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. Number two, historically, um, all women are not able to produce breast milk. Mm-hmm. Why? That's Darwinism. That's natural selection. Like, let's let's really look right. at it from that kind of perspective. Then we have wet nurses in not only in history, like our narratives and stuff like that, but also highlighted. I mean, um, the uh, the royals back then, mm-hmm. I mean, it was shunned not to breastfeed. So they had wet nurses. Yeah. Right? Like the queens were not supposed to breastfeed. Like we have right. wet nurses. Well, they for had that. to get up and queen. That exactly. would have been hard. Exactly. <laughs> like I gotta look all pretty. Um, and then again, then we have milk sharing. And so milk sharing is like, I kind of explain it like, you know, if your child is struggling and we're kind of related, we just switch babies because mm-hmm. what happens, let's say my baby is a newborn, your baby's a six month old, your body's already used to making that milk. My, my body's starting to learn. And so we switch babies because now the newborn gets, gets hmm. the milk. And then the one, the six month old can help me um, kind of just rev up my system because he knows or she knows how to do it. What we call here is called donor milk. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we related it to. So that's the history of breastfeeding. And we don't talk about that much, you know? No, we don't. The guidelines that came up from the WHO, the WHO organization, to breastfeed for two years was actually for birth spacing because ah, breastfeeding, yeah. you know, you don't, you're not your whole prolactin and all of that is suppressing less likely to less likely get pregnant right yeah so to support maternal mortality Hmm. right again how they support it Mm -hmm. so they came out with the guidelines for two years because then the woman's body's able to recover Mm -hmm. to have another gestation right and i always assumed it was also related to just supplemental nutrition in areas of the world where it was more difficult to have enough food Right, but also the water issues yeah. there too. So formula sometimes cannot become the sole source because yeah. formula is great, but you have to have good water. Right. And you can't just, like, you have to have that too. So that's where the WHO came up with that. Mm-hmm. Then the AAP adopted it for definitely six months exclusive and then a year. But then if you look at the data, like actually if you look at the data, the CDC, if you look at it, we do a great job initiating. 80% of American women mm-hmm. start breastfeeding. By the time you get to six months, it's down to 26%. Sure. Okay, just mm-hmm. across the board. But if you allow that woman to have some degree of formula in there, your breastfeeding rates jump up to 50% of those women actually continuing to breastfeed. I believe that. You know? I believe that. I mean, I think that sometimes it's that pressure on the exclusivity. Yes. That at least to me, was like, that's that's a huge differentiator in terms of just your approach. Yes. And your mental state around yes. it. So we should change the narrative that we want you to breastfeed. Like, mm-hmm. this is something that's good for moms because you reduce ovarian cancer, heart risks, and all of that. You help with your post-pregnancy weight, which can lead to better health outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's documented for mom. It's obviously documented for babies. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the narrative. Okay, you want to breastfeed? Great. Here are all your choices. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Here is all your choices. We're going to help you as a medical community in your journey. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to add another layer of anxiety for mm-hmm. you. Because like for me, I allowed formula to come into my life. I was able to breastfeed my child 
for 15 months. Right. You know? Yeah. So I think changing that narrative is so important. Just, I always say that I'm not sure how breastfeeding became a gold standard of motherhood. Like if you yeah. breastfed, then you're like, oh my God, you're a good mom. Yeah. And you're like, how did that Yeah. Well, you know what? It? If you're miserable, <laughs> yeah, then I don't I think mom. those benefits, you know what I mean? I feel yeah. like that, that the benefits certainly do not outweigh an no. unhappy, strung out, anxious yes. mom. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think that that's such a good point. I, I would love the idea, you know, I think now approaching it to, to encourage moms to start with the idea of saying, so that this will be an option for you as you yeah. go along. Because like that, I think if you've already decided from the get go, and maybe that is right for you and you know it. And maybe again, yeah. this is baby four and you're like, I hate breastfeeding. I ain't doing it. Yeah. Fine. Fine. You do you. Yeah. But I always think if if it came with that idea as to say, like, we want to make sure that this is an option for you because you might find it something that works well for you and you love it to one degree or another, maybe right. exclusively, maybe a little bit, maybe not at all. But if you get started, because it's the beginning is so hard. Yeah. And so if you get past that hump, I think like it becomes a lot easier, but it's hard to keep sight of that Yeah. when you're in those initial yeah. days where things are struggling. Everyone's learning. Well, that also, when we just talk about formula too, we don't do good education about formula. There's no. so many formulas mm -mm. out there. I mean, and you've probably witnessed it. I've had a couple of babies that poor formula mixing has landed them in the mm -hmm. ER and in my NICU. Mm -hmm. So we're not even talking good formula education, like what's soy-based, what's not soy-based. Why does my baby need all of this instead of this? Right. What's the organic ones? Like, you know, there's a lot of European formulas coming into our system. Right. And like, there's no good education about mm -mm. that either. So how can a mom be well-informed if she doesn't have all the education right out there. and I'm actually we're we're gonna have another guest soon who we've had on the show before um Allison Ventura who actually yeah. has done some research um about responsive feeding with bottle feeding which I yeah. think is something we really hardly ever yes I mean certainly as a pediatrician I never really learned about that and I don't think yes. it's something we talk about we talk about that more related to breastfeeding but clearly we have so many moms and dads using formula as well and so I love the idea of like doing the research and talking about like right. well I mean a lot of these same behaviors and all of these things are involved in bottle feeding so let's talk about like well what's the best way to approach that and I think you've you're left a little bit adrift yes because that messaging just really isn't out there yes no totally I mean that's what's the thing it's just like we're saying no formula, no formula, breastfeed, breastfeed, but you're not educating in either one of them. No. So, I mean, I have moms come around to me back at four to six months and it's like, oh, you know what? I, my um, supplies um, dipping. What mm -hmm. can I do? X, Y, and Z. And so the thing is you're offering support then. Mm -hmm. And so you're encouraged to offer support then, right? But yeah. It's that open dialogue that it should happen. Totally. And then last thing that you had mentioned about those moms that are have like those tons of milks and yeah. stuff. And so I've had a couple of overproducers and it's hard for them. Right. That's you true. Know? I would say because when you're on yeah. the other end, you're a little jealous. Yeah. Like I'm a little like a freezer full. If I yes. had one bag I could freeze, I was like, look, yes. look what I did. But you know what? I didn't understand that until I had these patients mm -hmm. that they had, they were just like 
it was constant for them. It was so yeah. tiring. It was some one woman had such back issues because my her breasts were just she she actually came in crying and she was just oh. like, "Could you please help me stop this?" Mm. And you know, and I don't think that message goes out either. That's true too. That's to, a very good point. You know, to be like, "Oh, it's really all those overproducers." Yeah, they might be like, "Hey, this is what I did." Yeah, because they're like. Do you know my journey to get here? Because this was exactly this like I have a freezer full because I need to get it out of me. Exactly. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally. That is an excellent point. So it was just um, I, I was very I was actually very surprised to learn their journeys too. I have to be very open about that because I was like I was like so jealous of them. And yeah, right. I was like, like, oh, Aw. I'm so so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like that sounds unpleasant. Yes. So so you help lots of moms along their breastfeeding, and you you also talked a little bit about this, but um, like supplements and you know, there's lots of products you can yeah. buy to help with your milk supply. And I would be interested to see what your experience with yourself or your clients is. For me, you know, I tried all the teas and whatever, fenugreek, all those things, and I I really didn't see yeah. <laughs> that it made any sort of difference. So, you know, I got enough stuff going on. I quit drinking the disgusting tea and buying the expensive milk cookies. Not I mean, maybe they work for somebody, yes. but I was like, ugh. This is gross, and yes. I don't need one more thing to do. But what's you been your okay. experience? So, first of all, my message is the stress about breastfeeding kills breastfeeding. So true. That's, that's just there. You yeah. know, like that anxiety about it. Secondly, look at your nutrition. Yeah. Like we taught, we drill it, that water, 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 all that. But we don't drill the nutrition. So in the mm-hmm. first week, just realize, okay, a C-section is abdominal surgery with the baby attached. That's that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So your body is trying to do two things. It's going to be in such deficit of trying to recover your own body for healing. And then you got to make milk for another human to survive. <laughs> right. Right? Like that's a, that's a, a lot. That's a lot of calories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So when my moms come, I go, okay, what are you eating? Right. And literally eight out of 10, they're like, so if I have a repeat client, they know. And they're like, no, no, doctor, I got got this. (laughs) But if I have a new client, they're like, oh, I had a granola bar. Okay. From like eight to 12. How many times did you breastfeed your baby? Three times. Like granola bar, it's not going to suffice. Right. You know, so really looking at their nutrition and making sure that they are getting the right nutrition and eating healthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. My experience is the same with yours. So usually that kind of takes care of it because yeah. A, they forget about the stress about it. Then they're allowed to eat. Okay. So Target has this Archer Farms chocolate cake for any chocolate lover that's out there. <laughs> it's one slice, 800 calories. Okay. The only time I've eaten it is when I've been breastfeeding. Like I need 800 extra I need, calories. I need 800 calories. I, need I will get those cake. in cake. <laughs> So giving them the permission to be like, you need to eat more. Yeah. And but I think that's a hard, way. it's hard for two reasons to me, at least my experience and just thinking. Like, it's kind of like you alluded to, like when you're pregnant, you're adorable. You've got this like tight, yeah. tighter belly and yeah. like, you know, everything's great. And like for me, I, the day after, like the day after Sony was born, I never felt more disgusting yeah. in my life. I mean, it was just like, you know, then all of a sudden you're just like kind of feeling bad about yourself. You're yeah. like, I used to be this cute pregnant person. Yes. And now I just feel like Blah. deflated <laughs> and disgusting and like I'm leaking everywhere and I'm just gross. So I think you have that part where you're like sensitive maybe about your weight. And so yeah. like part of you is like, 
maybe I shouldn't be eating chocolate cake. Um, and then there's the other piece where you're just tired and exhausted and not having yeah. time and maybe not prioritizing yourself. So it's like I ate their granola bar because it was fast and like the only yeah. time I had to feed myself. Feed yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So the tips that I have is um, if there's no nut allergy in the mm-hmm. house or you don't have like little tiny kids um, to get uh, one of those big trail mix jars mm-hmm. okay, or almonds or whatever you like to eat. Put it right when you're nursing because Mm -hmm. even so you nurse about eight to 12 times in the first week. Let's just put it that way. I just want you to eat four, four almonds for this, for that. That's all I want you to eat because guess what? In a 24 hour period, that's 40 almonds that Mm -hmm. you've just eaten and boom, unknowingly you've kind of upped your nutritional intake. Um, And then, then when I come back, they're like, oh, we got that. And then my, so here's the deal too. The home visits allow me to talk to more of the family as Mm -hmm. well, right? So then they come back, they're like, well, we got all this stuff here. And the dads are like, yeah, I'm just in charge of feeding her because she's feeding my baby. Yeah. And then it becomes a unit. So the lately what I've seen with the dad's getting more education, it's they view as breastfeeding. Because, you know, you mm-hmm. dads kind of feel left out of it. Yeah. There. So two of my dads have actually told me this process is our family process. Mm-hmm. So I'm in charge of this, this, and this, meaning I have to feed baby. I have to, I mean, I'm, I'm feeding the mom. I'm in charge of the meals. And they are looking at upon it as this breastfeeding is just not my wife's responsibility, mm-hmm. but it's my responsibility because, hey, guess what? At the end of the day, I'm saving money because I don't have to buy formula. Right. Right? Right. Like, I mean, sorry, just get to the heart of, men are very objective. <laughs> saving money is always good. Formula is very expensive. Yeah, but it's, they're <clears throat> very objective. Men are very mm-hmm. objective. It's like, tell them what to do exactly. They will do it and they'll do it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, I think that that's such a good point too, is I think that was one of the best parts about some bottle feeding was being able to involve dads and partners in that because I think it is something where they kind of get left out in in exclusive breastfeeding. You know, it's like, oh, but you can change the diapers. Oh, yay. Thanks. That's that's the funnest part of having a baby. (laughs) You know, right? So I think that, um, but that other idea where they feel like, oh, you know, like I can, when they realize that you need help taking care of you, um, I think that that's, that's very empowering also to it was, partners. But it was so beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. I had to see that. Like when they were there, like the minute that she's, the mom was breastfeeding in both situations, the dads were right there, the water, the food. And, and I was like, oh, and they're like, no, this is my responsibility as well. Breastfeeding is my responsibility as well, is what mm-hmm. they articulated. And I thought that change of narrative was so amazing. That that's it's very cool. just not the mom. Very cool. You know? Yes. So... So again, going back to all those herbals, I mean, fenugreek caused me gas, caused my baby gas. (laughs) Right, right. So I'm always just mindful to be like, okay, stop stressing. Mm -hmm. You're killing your breastfeeding that way. Good nutrition. Really, please, let's look at it Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're filling up your tank in order to fill up someone else's tank type of deal. Um, Kind of really quick and easy ways to do it. Um, The other quick tip is put a water bottle in the bathroom because the first week that's all you're doing, right? You're you're going back and forth. So make it accessible to where you are. That granola bar, sure, eat it, okay? Mm -hmm. Don't kind of think for it, but getting your whole family involved and Mm -hmm. feeding you as well, yeah, um, that's important. Um, the lactation cookies, brewer's yeast is what's in them. So you can actually yeah. take any. That's why my grandma always said she drank beer. Every yes, day. <laughs> it is. She, that was her tip. I, that's not my tip necessarily. 
So, but um, that was uh, my hundred year old grandma. <laughs> she's like, I just had a beer every day, and she's like, I fed those <laughs> so babies no problem. I was so like, Well, just, I like your style. Yeah. <laughs> so, alcohol and breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of talk about that because actually, your grandma is right. Mm-hmm. So, brewer's yeast is in beer. So, the darker the beer, so the the actual thing is Guinness will mm-hmm. increase it because it's a Ugh, really thick I can't do the dark Guinness. beer. It's like a beer milkshake. It is a beer milkshake, but to me. <laughs> so when families ask me about it, so then we lead into alcohol. If you can find your baby, you can feed your baby. That's <laughs> that literally is the new recommendation. That's so, actually one of our questions later. Yeah. So we'll revisit this, yeah. but so that's what we'll that is. Dr. Soto Patel. Quote. Feed your baby. And that's what it is. It's brewer's yeast. So brewer's yeast is a mm. yeast nutrition. And you can like put it on salads, pasta. Like don't complicate things. Like yeah. And so and then in any cookie, you don't have to buy the lactation cookie. So for example, I had a family who was mom and the daughter was three. And over the weekend, they made protein balls with brewer's yeast in it. And then they made um, lactation cookies. And there you go, mom guilt, right? Because now right. you have another child and you're like, oh my God, I can't spend time with theirs. Right. So it's like, well, why do we have to separate this family? Like, why, do mm-hmm. we, why does mom have to feel content if she's only coloring with her three-year-old? Why don't we make no-bake protein balls with yeah. the three-year-old? Now you're accomplishing so much. And those protein balls are good for the three-year-olds too. Right. Right? So instead of kind of piecemealing this period mm-hmm. let's kind of figure out how we can do it together as a family i i like that and i like i i totally agree with you i think just the bottom line being like feed your hydrate feed yourself well and i my belief is really that kind of those products that are marketed hit us all at a very sensitive time yes. where we're kind of desperate and like feeling like I need this and I need yes. to buy this and this. Um, my experience has been, and I, I would think that the research really doesn't show that any just supplements like that are substantially improving anyone's breast milk. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, if you want to do it, fine, but I would say a focus on just hydration, rest as much as you can, and, and just eating. eating yourself yes. is going to pay leaps and bounds above anything you're gonna listen to your body yeah my body at nine months was like dude peace out your child's eating (laughs) yeah i'd be like i'm cool for sure yes so do you have any does any like crazy breastfeeding story of your own come to mind when you when you reflect on your breastfeeding do you have any i feel like most moms have like some moment where it was just like a disaster or something hilarious Oh my god! Okay, so something hilarious. I remember <laughs> flying with I think it was Sile. It was so my first one, and he was about eight nine months old, mm-hmm. something like that. And um, we were flying, and his he just was like his schedule was so off, right? Yeah, like just totally off. And he's like screaming, "We're about to take off!" And he's screaming, and blah, blah. and my husband Meshi goes, "Pull the booba! Pull the booba!" <laughs> <laughs> That was just to distract the other travelers, actually, that were staring at you with the baby. You're like, <laughs> it was so funny because, like, Nimesh had recognized that, like, that was something that was comforting for our child. Totally. And oh, that's just, what I did on flights the whole time. It was like, pull the boob out. Stick him on the boob. Just like, wait, what mm-hmm. do you want me to do? So I think that's, like, the hilarious part of it. I love that. Yeah. I was thinking about this, and when I think back to, like, breastfeeding, like I said, every mom I talk to has some sort of, like, 
list of like ridiculous activities that ensued related to breastfeeding. But I remember Leah, so my youngest, she actually had a tongue tie. Yeah. And she had this little like heart-shaped tongue. And Mm. um, one of the things that can happen when you have a baby that has tongue ties is the latch is less than ideal. And I, for whatever reason, already have problems with like bloody cracked nipples. So tongue-tied baby and me... It, it was ugly. Right. I was ugly. So it was before she'd got it repaired, I think. So we ended up taking her in yep. to get it clipped pretty early on. Um, and so I I had very bloody nipples, but we were still breastfeeding. And she was actually, it was actually going pretty well otherwise. Um, and my brother had come, you know, into town to visit our new baby. And he's holding the baby. And she spits up like babies do. Only she spits up just what appears to be just like copious amounts of blood. And my brother looks at me like, your baby's oh, no. dying. Like he's like, <laughs> he's like holding this baby. Right? He's got <laughs> blood, bloody breast milk all over him. And he's like, your baby's dying. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. That's my blood <laughs> from my nipples. And I think he was more horrified. Yes. He was like, I've got your nipple blood like all over my shirt. So I'll like never, it was like Carrie, you know, he had just this blood all over him. And I think that that's the difference though between first and fourth babies. And you're like, "Ah, no big deal. That's just my nipple blood all over your shirt. So anyways, well, thanks so much for joining us. This This has been super fun. (laughs) Um, I think great conversations. And I think the biggest takeaway from you that I love is this idea of taking care of baby and taking care of mom this is the same thing. This, yes. This is all one in the same. Yes. I love it. Yes. So I'm going to move on to our next section. Sure. Ask me anything. We have a couple of questions. The first one um, that you kind of alluded to a little bit is from Tammy. So what is the role of mom's diet or changing mom's diet for helping gassy, fussy babies? Okay. So here's the thing. So it depends where the baby's at. So around... I mean, I don't know who designed us because it just kind of sucks. <laughs> right? <clears throat> but the first two weeks, you shouldn't encounter that much. But what's happening is baby's guts are developing as well. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when their guts are developing, that occurs around, they start showing signs between three weeks, as early as three weeks. Mm-hmm. And we used to call it colic before because colic meant that something had to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Like you gave gas drops to get it fixed, right? Now it's called the purple cry syndrome. Google it, look it up. There's great research on it for families to understand that this is actually a developmental phase Mm -hmm. that all babies go through around three to six weeks and it gets better around two months. Um, But in that phase, it can feel like colic and can Mm -hmm. feel very overwhelming. So first of all, educate yourself in the sense that where is my baby at? Is this my baby is around six weeks? Look up purple cry syndrome. Do they actually fit the criteria for it? Then there's this understanding that, okay, this is a developmental phase. Mm-hmm. So then again, I don't have to go into anxiety provoking stuff to be like, okay, now I have to get what, which I have to eliminate all these things in my diet. Yeah. I have to go get the best colic drops for that purpose. Right. So. That's number one. Number two, yes, there are medical issues that do come up that, you know, go see your pediatrician and figure it out because they're going to be the best 
people to help you because I know your baby the best that way. Um, and then with eliminating, um, I mean, anecdotally, I've had moms eliminate cow and soy and all those kind of products and it's helped. But here's the deal. It takes about two weeks to get it out of your system. Yeah. So now. And by that time, have they just exactly. changed? Have they, yeah, they've they grown out of it. Changed. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think have, has kind of helped in the transition are probiotics to mm-hmm. start them early. Um, Gerber actually makes one with vitamin D and probiotics together. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can start on probiotics for the baby earlier on, that's one thing that I've noticed has helped with it. But, um, I like that. Yeah, I, I love this topic. And I mean, it is, it obviously does vary baby to baby. And there certainly are babies that have real issues with some yeah. things in their diet. But I do think it is overemphasized or overdiagnosed. Um, and we end up with moms, again, who are already struggling to feed yes. and take care of themselves. And now have been put on an elimination diet where they're like, you can't eat all these, you know, but soy it takes two weeks and dairy to get and all this. Exactly. So it's just like, well, what happened first? You know, did you, did your baby just grow out of it? And there was all this, I think people would always think like if you ate things like cruciferous vegetables that people would say, well, that causes gas. Well, although food, like nutrients from the food that you eat and particles of the food you eat are going into your breast milk, whole pieces of broccoli are not going, you know what I mean? And so I always like, and anytime your baby, at least I've had this experience too, anytime your baby was like gassy or whatever and you're breastfeeding, people always go, what did you eat? Yes. And I was like, Ugh, yeah. I don't know. Babies just fart. Like, yes. leave me alone. I mean, their, their, their guts are developing. Right. Like, exactly. That's part it. of the process. Like, part of the process. <laughs> so like with the fenugreek I'd mentioned, I mean, my, um, at that time he was three to four months and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, that's a fenugreek. You know, because yeah. I had a better understanding of where my baby was developmentally. Yeah. Baby, and I mean, if yeah. you notice something like every time I eat this yeah my baby has issues fine but for the most part like I said follow with your pediatrician for sure but if your baby is otherwise normal Healthy and normal growing and well yeah. then I would be reluctant you know I would think twice about suggesting elimination diets for people because it's really hard of course as the mom yeah you're already struggling and things like soy the things they suggest that's in that's Everything. in all those granola Everything. bars, all those things. So it's legit difficult. Yes. So. I mean, and there are some, some moms who have really benefited from it. And they've noticed that if they reintroduced it, yes. But just don't overkill yourself. Kind of figure out where you are. So Totally. Yeah. All right. My second question you also discussed earlier yeah. is from Karen. She said, what's the deal with drinking and breastfeeding? Do <laughs> I always need to pump and dump? So, no, <laughs> again, um, those recommendations have gone out the door, so you don't have to invest in any of the, you know, alcohol strips or anything yeah. like that to figure it out. Um, so really, honestly, if you are not feeling, so let's say you had a drink, okay, mm-hmm. um, and when it's time to breastfeed and you're not feeling anything, totally fine to breastfeed, yeah. okay? Let's say you went to a bachelor party. I had a mom who went to a bachelor party. She goes, do I have to dump everything out? Well, if you're heavily intoxicated and you feel like you need to pump and you're pumping at that time, yeah, that breast milk's not really good at that time, you know? Yeah, if you're like uh, passing out while right, and somebody's which, uh, pumping for you, yeah. I don't know about that. Well, you, if your friend's <laughs> holding the pumps, then yeah, maybe. Maybe not. 
But um, after that, like, let's say you had a good night at partying, you went to a wedding and stuff like that. And in the morning you wake up and you're engorged, but you're feeling fine. Mm -hmm. Well, that milk is fine. Mm -hmm. So it's whatever you're feeling. It's your liver that is kind of detoxing all of it. And um, yeah, so now they're like literally the recommendations are find your baby, feed your baby. Yeah, I I like that. I think that was one of the like lactation people I had worked with. She had said that. She's like, if you're not drunk, then you can feed your baby. Yeah. Uh, But I think that, I mean, it is worth saying that like alcohol some portion of alcohol does like come out through the breast milk and I don't think anyone knows exactly like there's never been any hard well there's alcohol and cough medicine well that's true (laughs) too that is true too (laughs) so and I think so I think delaying I mean one of the best times might be actually while you're drinking yeah (laughs) yeah so if you're gonna have a glass of wine maybe nurse while you're drinking the glass and then but um but otherwise I think uh you know if you're really worried about it then I used to tell people like a couple hours after if you have a drink a couple hours after that really should be it should be fine pretty much out of your system if you're not feeling it it's not in your breast milk literally that's it yeah so don't complicate it so yeah so the pumping and dumping I mean I I think that that wasn't when I had the kids I mean I remember doing that because I don't think I think there was more there wasn't as much information about it and so um but I don't know I mean I think that's another one of those things where I mean if you're if you're going to be intoxicated, someone else should be taking care of your baby. Exactly. <laughs> That's maybe exactly. the takeaway. Exactly. But I love you know it. What? And you honestly, and you don't drink in pregnancy. Like a half a glass of wine makes you woozy. You know what <laughs> That's saying? true. That's true. Like you're not going to be out there. But, you know, there's some scenarios like weddings and bachelorette parties and like talk to you. And uh, the American Board of Medicine is a really good resource as well. So Ac- Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is their thing. But Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's why I usually say just to... You know, I would usually, if I have a drink, wait like a couple hours to nurse um, if you're worried. Yeah. If you want to be extra cautious. If you be extra cautious. Yeah. But again, like you had your baby, you're fine. Perfect. So <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much of for course. joining us. Yes. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, yes. It's so much fun. And congrats. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and thanks for joining us for another episode of Feeding the Family. Be sure and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next week.